everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, Discovery. Oh, let's do better. Good morning, Discovery. There you go. Online, good morning to those online and to the person who is going to watch this at 3 a.m. Tuesday, hi to you as well. Um, It's it's good that you are joining us um, at a time that works for you. Um, It's good to be here, continuing on in the Villain series. I wasn't sure exactly what that meant, that they wanted me to teach um, one of these lessons, uh, but um, I'm looking forward to it. And, And as I start out, I always like to figure out what is something that we can kinda relate to that puts us all sort of on common ground. And one of the things that came to mind this week was, have you ever stubbed your toe? Stepped on a Lego? Right? And, and then when you do that, the words that come out of your mouth, you don't even know the meaning of them, but you just know they're hate-filled. And, and pretty soon you're looking at that bed and you're like, man, I don't, I don't like this bed. And you think to the store where you bought that bed is like, we're never shopping there again. And you're going to go burn down a maple forest because that bed's made out of maple trees. And then you remember your spouse is the one who suggested you buy that bed or buy those logos. And now you got issues with that, that person, right? And you kind of wonder, right, where does that stuff come from? And maybe it's the thought or response you have when you're driving in traffic and you feel like you've been wronged in some way. Maybe it's the harsh word that you share with your spouse or your child. Maybe it's your vile comments to others about your boss or a common friend or or a neighbor. I mean, where does that, which sometimes is literally evil, where does that stuff come from? And that's really what I want us to wrestle with today. Because the answer is that it actually comes, we're going to see this, that it comes from our heart, from our soul, from the center point of our being. You see, what comes out of you is from within you. What comes out of you is from within you. And so the question is, well, what's in you? One time my oldest daughter, Robin, some of you know her. She, she attends here. Um, and when she was four, maybe five, she, we were at dinner table and she had this fork and she's, she's using the fork in every way imaginable except as a tool to put food into her mouth. She's banging it on the table. She's knocking it on her head. She's so much like her mom. She's, you know, rubbing it on her lips. She's, all these things about the, the fork. And, and I'm, I'm getting frustrated and so I gently on numerous times t- try to correct her. But then eventually... I'm really upset that she is not doing what I want her to do, so I basically yell at her, and I'm not a yeller. I say, if I ever see that fork in your mouth again, and then I kind of stopped because that's a ridiculous thing to say, and I can remember that my tone just absolutely throttled her. It just crushed her. I mean, where did that come from? I, I mean, I could blame her. I could say, well, that was her. She kind of made me do it. But that, of course, would not be true. There was something in me. And when the pressure came, when things were not meeting my expectations, all of a sudden, it came out. See, I think we've all been out of bounds at times in thought, in action, maybe in inaction. 
And, and isn't it troubling that we have that stuff in us, if we're honest, and that at times it, it comes out? And so today as we continue the villain series, we're going to look at Cain, Cain of Cain and Abel fame, the one who murdered his kid brother, and we would ask, well, why? I mean, why would he murder his kid brother? What, come out, what comes out of you is from within you. So we're going to get to that story, but before we do, I want to set the stage a bit with part of another story. And then we're going to use Cain as a bit of a mirror for us to look into to inspect our own lives. So I know it'll be on the screens. If you're watching online, it'll come up as well. But, but let's go to Matthew 15, starting in verse 10. Here's what happened. It said, Jesus called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Jesus answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They, let, let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain this parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? So we got anatomy, we got biology happening there that we all know. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes, look at this, comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Anybody got that bumper sticker on your car? These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So, so here's what's going on. There's some food that the disciples ate that had not gone through the proper religious cleaning. It's a bit like eating Popeye's chicken sandwich instead of Chick-fil-A's chicken sandwich, all right? It's kind of like that. And the, the religious leaders confront Jesus about it, and Jesus says, listen, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. It's not observing some religious observation in a wrong way that defiles a person. And what Jesus is saying is that what comes out of you is from within you. And think about the stuff that Jesus mentions there. I mean, this is dark stuff. He says this is what comes out of the heart, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. I mean, really, if you kind of take a closer look at that list, I don't think Jesus misses anything because he's covering all these behavioral issues. He, he's really dealing with thought life issues. And then he's also dealing with the stuff that's deep inside of us that's just junky and messed up. And all these matters come from a place that is already corrupted. And now I'm starting to bum some of you out. I can see your face. You're like, dude, you're bumming me out. But it's like what's often said about an iceberg. You only see a small piece of it. The rest of it that can do most of the damage is under the water. And in this case, it's under the water ready to rip us open and sink us. Listen, the Titanic was not sunk by what it could see. It was sunk by what it couldn't see or chose not to see. Maybe it's more accurate. 
And I think likewise, we can work on the above water issues in our lives, but ignore that which is under the water that's ready just to gnash us. So prior to Abel and Cain, prior to sin, here's where we get our understanding of this idea of heart and soul and and the center of who we are. God created Adam and Eve, and, and literally he took the dirt, he breathed breath into it, which is an amazing thing to think about, and these living creatures came about and they had an eternal center of being, right? The heart, the soul, and it was cre- created in a way where it would perfectly worship God, where it would perfectly commune with God, perfectly align and connect with God. It would resonate with God in every way. And, and, and when, in the Bible, when you, talk, when you read about heart and soul, almost every occasion, that's what it's talking about, that, that part that's created in us to align perfectly with God, to be totally devoted to God. But then it's all fractured through sin. It's It's broken. And we often hear encouragement or the advice. We've probably heard it. We've probably said it at times. Well, you have to just follow your heart, which is basically like saying flying in an airplane with a cracked wing, a loose will, and an inebriated pilot. You're going to crash. It's destruction. I mean, listen to the description of the heart from Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, it's from the heart that comes things like lying and gossip and, and cruelty and fornication and, and deception and character assassination. And as we'll see with Cain and Abel, murder. And all of this is the result of aligning our heart, the center of who we are, our heart, our soul, our being, aligning it with something or someone to a greater extent than it's aligned with God. But there's good news, and the good no- there's always good news because of Jesus. There are ways to align our heart with God so that what comes out of us is not those things, but it's authentic, it's honoring, it's, it's life-giving. And so we look at the account of Cain and Abel, and it's shocking. I mean, I think if we really paused and, and thought about what happened here, it's shocking, but if we understand all the things I just talked about, then maybe it's not surprising because it's one of the consequences of a misaligned heart. All right, so let's, um, let's dig into the story. Genesis 4, 1 through 11, dark, dark um, time. It says, now Adam, Eve, Adam knew Eve, his wife, And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, so he's kind of like a rancher. Cain was a worker of the ground. He's like a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering... He had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain, at a later time, spoke to Abel, his brother, and they, when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. 
Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And so there's a, there's a million little things. There are dozens of things, at least, in that passage, right? But we're going to focus on a couple. But, but there's two offerings, right? Why, why was Abel's sacrifice accepted? Why was Cain's rejected? I mean, if we go to the New Testament, we get some help. It sheds some light on it. If we go to 1 John 3.12, it says that the reason why Cain was rejected was because the offering he made to God was with jealousy in his heart against his brother Abel. We go to Hebrews 11.4, it says that Cain came with unbelief. Abel came with faith. Now again, those are obviously helpful and we should pay attention to them, but, but I wonder if we even need to work that hard. I mean, does not what we just read, the text itself, does that just not tell us a little bit about what's going on? I mean, we can see Cain's response to God really to know most of what we need to know. Cain was angry. Cain, his face fell. And I think here's the deal. If, if, if Cain's heart was in the right place, that would not have been his response. But because his heart was not in the right place, there was no humility, there was no confession, there was no desire to make things right. And the problem is that is with what Cain brings with his hands, that's not the problem. It's what he brings in his heart. And I think that's something that we should pay attention to as we even set aside time, whether it be on a Sunday or wherever, to actually focus in and, and, and worship God, what's in our heart as we enter that time. I mean, the problem with Cain was not what was brought. I don't think the problem was, what, it was how he brought it. The, the, the problem lied at the heart of the person that was bringing it. And, and God is always, 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 always after your heart. I mean, always. He's designed us to know deep joy and fulfillment and, and strength, to experience full life and to be a conduit of deep joy and strength and real life and fulfillment to other individuals. And that happens when our heart is aligned with his. But if not, we end up being destructive to ourselves and others like Cain. So how do we keep our heart aligned? How do we get our heart realigned? I just want to suggest um, four things. And they're not really, they don't build on each other. They're four things that I think are happening all the time. I think we pull them out of this, this passage here, is that the first one is that we loathe sin. And I use the word loathe because it's greater than hate. It means to dislike or have a disgust for. It's, it's to be intolerant of. The, the vision that came to mind, and I'm sorry I'm going to do this, but the picture that came to mind, there's some of you in here, like if you smell vomit, see vomit, think about vomit, any of that, you yourself vomit, so you will do everything you can to never look at, be close to, see vomit. And some of you are just dads with little baby, little kids. You're pretending to be that way, but that's not really true. I mean, I know that. But, but there's this loathing of that, like, man, I can't be near that. that, is gonna, that is gonna, that's going to bring something out of me that I don't want to experience. And so you need to loathe sin. 
And I think the battle there is, is this question is like, we're always saying, the question is like, do you want to be something or do something? And here's what I mean by that. I think through all our lives and in various ways, and, and certainly the, the motive isn't always wrong, we're always like, man, be something, be something, be something, be something. And that plays on our pride, and pretty soon we've got this mixture of our pride and, and this sin, this idea like I want to really be something, and pretty soon we end up in a really dangerous place because sin will always push us through pride to be something. It'll always push us to make all of life about us. Cain comes, he makes the sacrifice apparently about him, about his own righteousness. And so God tells Cain, he says, sin is crouching at the door. And that's what sin does. It crouches, it it hides, it stays out of sight. It suggests and insists to you that, hey, no big deal, I'm not really here. I'm not a big deal, don't pay attention to me. But in hiding, it's ready to pounce it's ready to mess up your life. It's ready to devour. A couple of years ago, um, I was in Kenya, and while, th- while there, we went on a safari. And sure enough, there was this herd of gazelles, and then maybe 100 yards away from this herd of gazelles, there was this lone gazelle just kind of standing, relaxed, snacking on some grass. And, and we look at this other region, and here is this lion in the course of about five minutes making its way over toward this lone gazelle. And before long, it's about 50 yards away, maybe closer, just hiding, just crouching down behind this grassy knoll. I mean, it was hidden. The gazelle didn't see it. It was ready to devour. And, and that's what sin does. And I think sin hides in two primary ways. The first is this, that it's convincing us that it's not there and or or that it's no big deal. It's no big deal. I mean, there's dozens, dozens of examples of this, but one would maybe be resentment. I mean, you can think, man, I was wrong and, and I'm justified for the way that I feel. And you know what that is? That's sin saying, I'm not here. There isn't a sin issue here. And then the resentment begins to build. It becomes not isolated, but it becomes widespread. And what started as resenting a person can spread to, well, I resent people like him or her. Well, I resent people who are associated with him or her. Or I, ex- I, I resent organizations that are, are part of whatever they're part of. Listen, you can begin by resenting a coworker and end up resenting everyone who works where you do in the company itself. And you're going to feel justified. It'll actually feel good, so it's not going to seem like sin. Man, I had a phone carrier that we went to that we were devoted to up until about 20 years ago, and I felt like they treated me wrong, and they are still dead to me. And it was one employee that I felt treated me wrong, and it's like, you know what? I resent all of you. And I was just done with him, and that's how it works. But in my heart, I was like, I'm good. They deserve that. They're the, wrong, they're the ones in the wrong. It's not me. I mean, think about gossip. I mean, can't gossip, the sin of gossip, just hide and say, hey, you're just sharing a concern about someone. That's all you're doing. In fact, you're doing a good thing. Deception? I mean, can't, can't deception say, you know what, really, this is just me being shrewd. And, and Jesus said, be shrewd, so I'm just being shrewd here. Or lying, I mean, can't we say, like, you know what, actually, 
this is for their own good. This is actually kindness. This isn't a lie. Or cheating, and we're like, well, man, I know people who cheat a lot worse than this. This isn't that big a deal. And, and so sin just hides. And we're like, nah, it's good. It's no big deal. We excuse him away. We justify our actions because we don't see it as sin. But here's the deal. It is crouching. It's hidden. It's ready to devour. And I know those truths from my own life. For years of being a pastor and talking with people, there was never a story of someone absolutely falling in some way that it didn't proceed with a quote-unquote little sin that they gave no heed to. Every single time. I mean, think about it. If you don't think a lion is there, you will 100% be killed. Right? Does that just make sense? I mean, if, if there's a lion that's like, I don't know, two feet away from you, and you're like, it's not there. You're dying. It's going to overwhelm you. It's going to devour you. I'm up in Tabernash one day, and I'm just running around. I'm running up through the, the mountainside. I'm in the wooded area. There's people coming and going. And I took this other trail, and all of a sudden, I'm kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's just God and I. We're having a great time, and for whatever reason, all of a sudden, I was like, I think there might be a mountain lion here. I had no proof. I have never had that feeling since. I'm sure I was 100% wrong, but all of a sudden I'm like, well, because I think there might be a lion here, I am not going to just continue to run casually. I'm running back, and then when I'm done, I'm going to act really cool. See, so if you see it, then it, all of a sudden you, you begin to respond differently. Listen, if you covet something, and you can use whatever word you want, something you really want, right? If you covet something and you act like that's no big deal, Man, your heart is going to align with whatever it takes to obtain what you covet. It's going to dominate your life before long. There will be this cascading destruction, but convince you, says, man, I'm not here. This is just a life goal. This is just a vision. This is just an idea I'm kind of thinking about maybe pursuing. This is just kind of a wish list kind of thing. So you know what sin does is it hides. It says, it's no big deal. So we have to look it out. We have to look. We have to kind of look around. We have to inspect our lives to see. And I think the second way sin works is that it hides in plain sight. And here's what I mean by this. I mean, we're, we see sinners as these repulsive, horrendous people on the news or are people that we know through history. And we quickly think, well, well, I'm not a murderer. I didn't run anyone over with my car. I didn't swindle people out of millions of dollars. I didn't set fire to a house. I'm no Hitler. And we kind of set that up, and, and that becomes the standard of what we associate sinner with. And, I mean, if we're comparing ourselves to people like that, we're like, I'm pretty good. I look okay. And so that's why we need people in our life to point those things out. So on that safari, we're watching, and I can't, I mean, I just... I'm trying to think, man, do I want to see this lion take down this gazelle and just eat it? Is that going to be really cool? Or is that going to disturb me the rest of my life? I'm kind of having that, right? But before long, we're watching this unfold, there's two gazelles that kind of make their way over from the larger herd toward the solo gazelle. I don't speak gazelle. I don't know what they said. But it seemed to me like they said, hey, dude, you're about to get eaten by a lion, I'm almost sure that's what they said because all of a sudden that gazelle looks up from eating the grass, 
All of a sudden, it goes from relaxed to being tense, and like three seconds later, it just takes off running as fast as it can away from the lion that was about to devour it. We need Jesus-loving friends in our life that we've given a green light to to come up to us and say, hey, girl, you're about to get eaten by a lion here. You're about to be devoured. I'm concerned from you so that we can do the work that we need to do to deal with that. Man, loathe sin. It will destroy you. Have a general attitude that, that sin is, is dangerous. It's not something to be toyed with. And then have those friends who, who will lean in and press in on you to make sure that you're in a good place. Point you back to Jesus. And so when we become aware of sin in our life, when our heart is misaligned, well, what do we do? I think that's the moment where we don't try to fix it ourselves, but we, try to, we, we begin to lean into God's mercy and grace, and we do that through repentance. And I know repentance is kind of a churchy word, and some of you are like, grew up with a lot of baggage around the word repentance, but hang with me. I mean, think of repentance initially, think of it as, as having second thoughts. I mean, that doesn't seem so bad, does it? I mean, listen, I want to I have some second thoughts about what I've just done or what I've been thinking and then it ultimately it's turning away from whatever has taken God's place in your heart and turning toward Him. And ultimately, repentance is about God's love for us. I mean, think about this. God pursues us to reveal to us the very things that are robbing us of the life He intended us. And then He points our heart back to Him. And when we're when we embrace that, when we're sensitive to that leading in our life, then we begin to lean back in. We have second thoughts. We change direction. We align our hearts with him. And, and when you see that happen in a person's life, when that happens in your own life, it's actually stunning. And no person ever say, I really got my life squared away. A person will say, you know what? You should see what God is doing in me right now. You see what God did in me back then. And it's stunning. And really, this is what God, this is the thing that's incredible. God did this with Cain. I mean, did you catch it? I mean, he doesn't wait. God lovingly jumps in early before Cain has done anything very destructive. And he begins questioning, really kind of saying, hey, hey, Cain, any second thoughts here? Hey, Cain, is your, is your heart in the right place? I mean, he's intervening before things go awry. It's in that invitation to, to think it through again, to maybe choose to turn away and, and act differently. It's the opportunity to repent, to turn around, but, but Cain refuses that opportunity and destruction abounds. I believe part of the issue for Cain is that he trusted most in himself, in his performance. But to align and realign our hearts with God, then we really need to leave our performance behind. Again, Hebrews 11.4 is helpful. It gives us some background by saying that Abel offered in faith what he offered to God, and Cain did not. And it means that Abel's sacrifice was in response to God. I mean, Cain ha or Abel had faith in something, something about God, something that, that he had done. Cain's sacrifice was not. And I really believe that what Abel was responding to was the promise given to Adam and Eve, given to his parents in Genesis 3.15, that said, hey, someday 
a descendant of Eve is going to come. They're going to show up. They're going to triumph over and kill sin and death. And I think Abel is bringing his offering to God said, I have faith that that's going to happen someday. God, that you're going to rescue me, that that's going to take place. But apparently Cain came with a different heart, without faith not in response to who God was or what God was planning to do or had done. He brings the labor of his work in a way that says, look what I've done, and, and maybe even in a way that says, can you see what I've done? I mean, look at my performance, and maybe, and this is 100% conjecture on my part, this is not in the text, but maybe he thought even like, maybe I'm going to be the descendant that's going to take care of death and sin forever, and, and let me just show God how much I have to offer. But regardless, Abel Abel brought his offering with a heart that said, I need rescued. What comes out of you is from within you. Cain came with a heart that said, I got this. I know what I'm doing. I, I got this. What comes out of you is from within you. If we loathe sin to the point where we examine our lives, we see the dark stuff, the dark side, the junk that's inside of us. And we have a second thoughts in our, on our motives and our actions. And we declare that with God's help, we want to turn around. We want to realign things. We want to head another way. We want the center of our being, our heart, our soul to be aligned with him. Then we embrace his grace and mercy. And then what we bring, our performance is never an issue because we're always coming over and over and over again with a heart of gratitude. Humbly, thank you, God. See, ultimately, our heart stays aligned as we look to Jesus. And that's the first thing, that's the last thing, that's all in between. 24 7, 365 thing, it's looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus. See, some of you, the, the, the caution is some of you will take these things, okay, here's the four steps, do this, and, and you'll go through the four, four steps, but the whole time the focus is on yourself. And that's wrong, it's to we look to Jesus. Listen, here's a, I, I took a long time to say what is said in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. I mean, life is crushing. Life is disappointing. Life is frustrating. Life is confusing. Life will let you down. Life will crush you at times. What else can we do but look to Jesus? Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. How do you realign and align your heart to God? How do you do that? You make that part of the rhythm of your life. Listen, looking to Jesus, it's one of those things that's like, I don't know if I can describe exactly what that looks like. I know I've experienced, I know I've seen it. I think Martin Luther used to say, pray until you pray, and I'm kind of like, well, look until you look. Look until you see, keep doing it. Many years ago, um, 
I would spend one Sunday a month in, in prison, not for anything I did, although some of you probably think that's not true, um, but it was part of the ministry that our church had. We'd go and, and do a service at a prison um, once a month. And you would hear these stories of redemption, of, of changed hearts, the colorful language. It was all God-honoring and beautiful. It was amazing. These hardened hearts realigning with their creator. And, and one moment still stands out above all the rest. You see, during the services, there was always time to, to share kind of what someone was going through or their a praise or a prayer request. And again, always really powerful. And, and this middle-aged man stood up and shared that this was the fourth time that he had been incarcerated. But then he shared how this time everything had changed. And in his own words, he talked about how he had how followed Jesus. And what was so amazing to me is that now he was doing everything in his power that he could to make right all the people, all the things he did wrong and, and get right with all the people he wronged, believing that God, that's what God had called him to do. And there's two decades of just this mess of a life that he had done. Beautiful, powerful, Right? And then he, he pauses, and he becomes really emotional, and it's just silent for a minute or two. And then he says, let me tell you about God. I found out this week I will not be serving two more years. And at this point, I'm thinking, wow, this is going to be amazing to share how God provided him to get out of prison early and he's going to praise God for it and he's going to talk about how he's going to use his freedom and he's going to give glory to God. I'm like, this is going to be amazing. And the man pauses again to gain his composure because he is choking up and this is a tough dude. Another minute or two passed and he says, this week I found out that it's been determined that I have habitual criminal status and they've given me eight more years. And the man then said with great intensity, said, let me tell you about God. And I'm like, no, please don't. Because God messed up. God didn't come through. God let you down. That's, those are my own thoughts. And you're going to share about how terrible God is, and it's going to have this negative impact on everybody else around here. So I'm not proud. This is my heart. I'm like, let's, let's close in prayer. And again, the man pauses, and he's just shaking now. He's just shaking. And the man says, God, he says, God is as faithful today as he was yesterday and every day before that. God's got me. He has a plan. I'm trusting him, and I'll never forget this. He says, and I'm just looking to Jesus. You know what it says the most about us and how we're doing spiritually is what do we look to when things aren't going well? To ourselves like Cain or to God? Man, I, I think of that guy and it's like, you know what that is? That's a heart aligned with God. What comes out of you is from within you. What came out of him was from within him. We always go back to Jesus. I mean, the blood of Abel speaks against, but the blood of Jesus speaks for. The blood of Abel speaks justice and condemnation. The blood of Jesus speaks grace, acceptance, forgiveness. Abel's blood cried out for justice against sin. Jesus' blood cried out for mercy for me, for you, for sinners. 
Abel's blood spoke a good word, a good, good word indeed. Jesus' blood speaks a better word. Listen, I don't know where you stand spiritually, but if you would say, man, I'm not sure my heart is aligned with God the way it needs to be, maybe there would be some second thoughts there. And for some of you, maybe that's, you've never said, you know what, I'm, of all the things I'm trusting and of all the things I'm putting my faith in, I don't know that I've ever truly trusted in Jesus. And maybe you thought, man, my faith is really jacked up and my life is jacked up and it's not perfect. Listen, it, your faith doesn't have to be perfect. It just needs to be um, committed to or directed to the perfect one who is Jesus, who loves you, who came so that your heart could be full in good times and in the worst of times. Man, may we all move in, in that direction. Let's pray. God, I thank you for how much you love us. Um, God, I thank you for your, your word, the stories where they're just not um, painted as these rosy pictures, but, but some of your very followers were just incredibly messed up people like me, like you. And God, in that there is hope. Help us to cling to that hope, and out of hope, may we look to you out of a despair. May we look to you. Please do a good work in us and through us, God. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks.